0: As a black man in America, I do not have the privilege to not have hope. I I just don't have the privilege to not hope that the that that tomorrow is going to be a better day. Therefore, when we ex- when I experience things that seem like they're ridiculous, asinine, stupid, crazy, all of those things, I look at them, and and it's not that I don't have my moment, but I go, okay, here's hope for tomorrow. We've had it. We've had something today. Now here's on to hope continued hope for tomorrow.
1: Good day, dear friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. This is the show you come to when you want to hear from people who are giving a damn in so many unique and meaningful ways. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. Thank you for sharing it with a friend or two. I hope you're doing well, and I'm so glad you're here. Friends, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it releases, April 5, 2022, then yesterday, April 4, marked 54 years since Dr. King, may he rest in peace, was tragically assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. One year before he was murdered, on April 4, 1967, Dr. King gave an incredible speech titled, Beyond Vietnam at the Historic Riverside Church in Harlem, Tennessee. New York City, which is five blocks from my apartment. This past Saturday, I attended an incredible event at Riverside Church called Can the Church Study War No More? A conversation about domestic and foreign militarism and the American church. This event was incredible. It was put together by my friend and former podcast guest, Shane Claiborne, and many, many others, many other incredible people. Reverend Dr. Bernice King, Dr. King's daughter, spoke at the event. It was truly an amazing moment in time to behold. 27 different leaders of all backgrounds took turns reading Dr. King's entire Beyond Vietnam speech in three to four minute increments. There was a panel that made me cry and think deeply about so many important things. There was inspiring music. It was truly a mind-blowing event to be part of. I wish you all could have been there. Now, why do I share all of this? First, we must continue to honor Dr. King's life and legacy. We must continue to follow in his footsteps of nonviolent protest, and we must call ourselves and others to not only equality and diversity, but also equity, and we must not give up. The night before Dr. King was assassinated on April 3, 1968, he gave his very famous I've been to the mountaintop speech in support of the striking sanitation workers at Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, there's a bit that I want you to hear, and many of you have already heard this bit. I hope so at this point in your lives, but it's worth listening to again and again and again. Here's the bit. I hope you can hear it.
2: But somewhere I read, of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read. Yes. Of the freedom of speech, yes. somewhere I read. Yes. Of the freedom of press, yes. somewhere I read. Yes. That the greatness of America is the right to protest for right. Yes. And so just as I say, we aren't going to let it...
1: Okay, so there's a few words and phrases I want to point out. In that two-minute segment of the speech, he says, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. I've seen the promised land, and I may not get there with you but our people will get there. And I'm not fearful of what any man can do to me. Dr. King had no idea he would be assassinated just hours later. He planned to keep speaking. He planned to keep inspiring. He planned to keep pushing against the status quo. And then he was gone. You and I, We don't know how much longer we have. Most of us, or maybe all of us, are not doing the kind of work that Dr. King was doing. He had a target on his back with everyone, the government, law enforcement, regular citizens. There were a lot of people that wanted to see him gone. But many of you are doing work that may put you in harm's way. And so I'll restate what I just said a few seconds ago. You and I, we don't know how much longer we have. And it might not be. we, 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 We might not go. We might not leave this earth because of our activism, our work that we're doing. It could be anything. It could be crossing the street and getting hit by a bus. It could be some freak health accident. It could be choking on something. We just don't know. Therefore, we must make every moment count. I've talked about memento mori quite a bit over the years. Remember, you will die. We must live each and every day as if it were our last, because it very may well be. We must give a damn each and every day, in small ways, in big ways, in all sorts of ways. Why? Because the very same things Dr. King spoke out against in the 50s and 60s were still dealing with these same issues today, 50 years later. And that's fucking crazy, honestly, that we're still dealing with the same exact stuff. We're still talking about the same issues. We're still holding the same signs while protesting. But it's true that these very same things are still happening. We're still dealing with these same things. And so we have lots of work to do and we can't give up. So that's the first reason I bring up these days where we're remembering Dr. King. But the second reason I bring up these days and why we're remembering Dr. King is because my conversation today is fantastic and so much of my guest's life has happened in the way that it has happened because we haven't taken seriously the vision Dr. King had for each and every one of us. My guest today is a wonderful human named Tyler Merritt. Tyler is an actor, an author, an activist, an encourager. You may have seen him on Netflix's Messiah or Netflix's Outer Banks or Apple TV Plus's series Swagger or Disney Plus and Marvel's series Falcon in the Winter Soldier. But we actually don't in this conversation talk at all really, about his TV and film stuff. There just wasn't time. We did go for almost two hours, uh, but there wasn't time to talk about the TV stuff. Here's why I had Tyler on. He's been doing amazing work and hustling for years, but became much more well-known after one of his videos, a video called Before You Call the Cops, went viral a couple of years ago. Over 100 million people have seen this video with the help of Jimmy Kimmel and many others sharing it. And it's truly an amazing video. If you haven't seen it, stop right now and go Google it. Right now, hit pause. Go, I'll wait. Okay, I assume you're back. You've watched the video. Your heart has been moved. Your mind has been blown. Tyler has such an incredible presence that makes one just want to listen and listen and listen. He has done many other videos like that one. He recently did one uh, addressed to the terrible human. Those are my words, not uh, Tyler's. But he did a video addressed to Greg Abbott, Governor Greg Abbott, called These Are Our Kids, Greg. And he did one to Kyle Rittenhouse, And he's done other videos like this. And he addresses these, again, my words, these bad humans in ways that are so gracious and so good and so kind without withholding harsh and strong words for them. And then he goes on to write this amazing memoir. I take my coffee black, reflections on Tupac, musical theater, faith, And being black in America, which today we spend quite a bit of time talking about in this conversation. Friends, this is an all around banger of a conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we begin, as always, a quick reminder that you can email me anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgivea damn.com to ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, anything really. I just love hearing from you. And right now, let's get into my conversation with the amazing Tyler Merritt. Let's go. Tyler Merritt, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast.
0: Let's give a damn, Nick.
1: You ready? You ready to do it? Let, let, I mean,
0: let, let, I'm ready to give so much damn right now. Great. I have so much damn to give.
1: You do. We're going to talk about this book. We're going to talk about your life. We're going to talk about uh, the last few years. Before we started recording, we talked about how 2015 and now feels like a month and a decade all at the same time. No longer than a decade. It feels like just forever. Uh, We have so much to talk about. So glad that we're able to do this. Uh, Your book, I have now read it in physical form. Got the physical copy sitting right here in front of me. And I've read the audio book um oh you
0: did them both
1: oh i did them both man
0: dope man they're both uh, a different experience they're experiences
1: they they really are and and friends we're going to get into the book here throughout this conversation um but i will say right up front that if you're going to choose one or the other and you're already prone to sort of audio experiences do the audio book um it's just i mean it doesn't read like an audiobook i've read lots of audiobooks when i'm flying when i'm doing this and that it doesn't read like an audiobook it reads like this conversation honestly i mean literally there's like certain points where you talk to jen the audio engineer (laughs) and like like you're just popping in and out and um it's 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 really great dude it's really fucking great i i loved the audiobook can't wait to jump jump into it usually at the beginning of these conversations i usually try to get a sense of Who people are, where they've come from, you know, kind of leading up to this big, you know, organization they're leading or this thing that they did in their lives. But I can't really do that with you. I can, and we're going to do it, but I can't do it in that straightforward way because this whole memoir, this whole book that you've written is a lot about your life. So I don't want you to give it all away here at the beginning. Um, So let's just actually, again, I usually take a little bit of time to get to this, but this book, I Take My Coffee Black, um, number one. Number one, I take my coffee black as well. Not that that's what the book is about, but I've, I have always taken my coffee black. For coffee drinkers everywhere, I am the snobby guy that doesn't think that you're truly getting the experience of coffee unless you are drinking it in its purest form. And if your coffee tastes terrible black, then you're drinking terrible coffee and you just need to find better coffee.
0: There you go, man.
1: Because there are coffees out there that are just beautiful and amazing to drink uh black second right here on the cover and i'm for those listening you're not going to get this experience but your photos right on the front and i'm looking at you here in this video you're a beautiful black man like you Thanks, are bro. you are really just a sight for sore eyes and your <laughs> energy that people get when they listen to your voice when they listen to your stories i mean it 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 all when they see you physically it all comes together like you're you're a force to be reckoned with i hope you know that
0: I, I have been told. I have been told. I appreciate that, bro.
1: Yeah, of course. And third, the last thing I want to note just about this cover is that it says on the bottom, forward by Jimmy Kimmel. Um, not everyone that writes a book gets to have a forward by Jimmy Kimmel or the equivalent. Yeah. Um, before we get into the book, how did that happen?
0: Well, it's crazy because he's also on the audiobook, right? Yes, I think pe- yes. people people <laughs> people freak out when they're like, wait a minute, J- Jimmy is on the audiobook as well. Um, yeah. Simply put, bro, we're both from Las Vegas, man. We both grew up in Las Vegas. And so we have a history there. And it, real talk, Nick, I remember years ago, sitting in my living room, watching Jimmy Kimmel Live, thinking to myself, one day, him and I are going to probably be, probably be boys. Like, we had no connection at that point. But just as clear as anything, I remember sitting here thinking, one day, Jimmy and I are going to probably be boys. I didn't realize it was going to be because his wife reached out and, like, our, his wife connected the two of us. Um, but once she did, we just kind of hit it off, man. We've been friends ever since. She saw Before We Call the Cops, the uh, one of the videos that I put out through Tyler Merritt Project told him about it. He put it on his show. His people called me and reached out. And then a couple of days later, I hit him up and was like, yo, man, we kind of changed the world together with this thing you did. And he said, no, you are changing the world. And I just kind of was a part of it. And after that conversation, we just became boys. And when I wrote this book, I wrote chapter by chapter. A lot of people read the whole book and submit it. Me, because I was a new author and I'm like, I just tell stories. I was like, here's chapter one, here's chapter two, here's chapter three. And I had a small readers group of people that I was testing out my chapters with. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I'm writing this book. Can you, you want to be a part? He was like, yeah, man, send them over to me. And after the first chapter, he hit me back and was like, so can I write the forward for this? And I was like, <laughs> Wait, seriously? And he was like, yes. And so went through the, and It was a journey going through all 18 chapters, right? He didn't realize what he was committing to when I first said it. He didn't realize we were going to get to a chapter where I talk about Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't realize we were going to get to a chapter where I talk about sex and what that looks like. You know, uh, the book, it has layers on layers on layers. And it's not just about one experience as a black person. And so... I thought I, I, bro. I'll be honest with you. Like when I got around to like chapter fourteen, I was like, he's gonna probably bounce on. Yeah, this. he's gonna leave. He's gonna leave. He's, yeah, he's gonna leave. But as you know, because you you are a part of the book, you've read the book and you listen to the audio book. By the time you get to chapter fourteen, it's hard to just leave the book, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're in it. You're like, I'm walking with you now. And Jimmy had the same experience, man. And then when he sent the forward over, if anybody honestly would have said the things that he said about me or the book in a forward, I would have been floored, but a fellow Las Vegas guy, man, who has seen a little bit of success based on, uh, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other. It meant, it meant a ton. And he is one of the dopest. I don't know if you ever met a man, but he is one of the dopest, one of the most considerate, um, one of the most gracious individuals you will ever, ever meet. He sits on couches with Eddie Murphy and presidents, right? And he will have, I just hit him up yesterday because he told a super funny joke about Chris Rock and Will Smith. And I was like, that joke was dope. And, you know, we, we had a conversation about it.
1: Here's what I love about Jimmy, right? Jimmy is this goofy guy. I first, when I was a teenager, was the first time I saw Jimmy, you know, this stupid show that he was doing with Adam. And, you know, just, and the only reason I was watching it was because there were, pretty girls jumping on trampolines right (laughs) half naked and so I was like sneaking around you know my deeply conservative Christian home like turning on the TV to get just a glimpse right and so that was my first experience to Jimmy and he's just been this goofy guy that as you said just put one foot in front of the other tried to find his like way in the world and out of all of the late night guys we need more late night girls FYI But, yeah. you know, right now, all the like main shows that everybody watches, late night TV, you know, these late night shows, they're all guys. And out of all of them, Kimmel has done the best job of obviously being super silly and funny, but also having real conversations, Bro. like telling the stories, telling the shit like it is not beating around the bush, poking the bear Having people on that are gonna, you know, say things that are, gonna, you know, what I'm saying. Like I feel like, I mean, all, nothing but love for James Corden and J- Jimmy Fallon and all those guys, but they're just like their silly meter is like they're way more on the silly for way yeah, longer yeah. than Jimmy is. Like Jimmy knows how to get fucking like serious.
0: Man, the times that dude has cried on yeah. television over legit actual legit things, either talking about friends that have died or talking about the situation with, I'm a cancer survivor. And I sent him one day a picture of me in my cancer bed, like right after I came out of my surgery. And I was, I had, there's a picture where I just have stuff in my nose, running out all this stuff. And I sent him over to him because when I was going through the whole thing, he would text my mom and see how I was doing. And I was like, this is, this was me in my bed post-cancer, trying to like be impressive. Like, haha, look how I survived. And he sent me a picture of his baby when his baby was in the hospital. And he was just like, I know what it's like to be a parent, to have a child in the hospital. And I'm like, God, Jimmy, like, just hold, slow down, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he, he feels, then he takes that stuff on TV, man. Yep. He take, but like, people don't understand the medium and pressure that TV brings when you have ads and people, commercials and all that. So, so for him to go on and speak his heart, like you're sitting in his living room, I saw some different shit, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And, and just to kind of full circle on the whole Jimmy Campbell thing, I just think it's, um, yeah, it's a big, it's a huge, massive, rare stamp of approval to have somebody like that. You and I have met our fair share of famous people. Like I, I do it for in some ways for a living. I do a lot of stuff with well-known people on the show and other partnerships I have. And so there's this certain level of like, oh, they're just normal people because they are. But also when you realize the kinds, when certain people speak up and put their stamp of approval on your thing, it's kind of, I had a similar thing recently um, with, you know, right now we're in the middle of pitching a TV show and it's going, it's, it's, it's moving along pretty quickly. Actually. I have a really big meeting tomorrow that could like launch it, you know, to actually actually start getting made. But in the beginning, I'm like, listen, nobody knows who I am. I'm this guy that's just like, I can, I can speak well, ask good questions, have a great podcast, the concept, let's give a damn. It's great. But like, it's all about metrics today. It's all about how many followers and this. And, and so I'm putting this pitch together, but I'm like, nobody's going to take me seriously. So then I reach out to a few people that have been on my show that are friends that have mentored through the years um one of them being you know rain wilson who was on the office yeah yeah talked about rain quite a bit but he was episode 10 of the podcast he took it he took a risk on me super early on when really no one knew who i was and i was like hey rain i you know i'm making the show it would really mean a lot to have your stamp of approval somehow on this show uh but i completely understand if you would not even touch that because again, this is a this is a big deal for you to it's a it's a risk that not many people should or would take, yeah, man. and I shared the concept, shared the sizzle, shared some stuff. And like, ten minutes later, he sent a, you know, a video like texted me a video of him, you know, basically endorsing the show and saying like, yo, use, use this for, you know, if you want to just grab like what I'm saying and type it up under the pitch, or if you want to like put this into the video, you can. And a couple others did that as well. And I, you know, it was like, Oh, that, you know, at first I was like, Oh, cool. Thanks rain. Boom, boom. Put it into the pitch. And then later I was like, Holy shit. Like here's a guy who's been, you know, part of arguably one of the most well-known sitcoms of all time. And, you know, still up, still doing a ton of great stuff in films and in this and in that. And yeah, like in 10 minutes time, he's like, boom, here's your fucking video. Nick,
0: Nick, listen, bro. First of all, I mean this genuinely, bro. Like, congratulations on that, man. That's, that's, that's major. But I talk about this all the time with my friends, especially those of us who have seen a little quote unquote fame because we talk about especially since I, have, since I have so many theater, like Broadway friends, how fame is relative, right? Like in the theater world, you're you're famous for like two blocks. Yep. Like you, you walk out of your show, uh, out of the stage door, and like for two blocks, everybody knows who you are. And like block three, you like can't get a cab, right? Um, fame is relative. But what we also talk about, man, this is what's huge. And, and I think people need to understand. There's such a slow boil with, becoming, for lack of a better word, famous or well-known, right? Or a celebrity. It's such a slow boil that things that are crazy, that would be crazy, would have been crazy to you when you were 15. Yep. Now, because the boil has been so slow, seem semi-normal to you. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it hits you different, right? Like you just said, you just said the sentence, um, Rain text me over this. Rain Wilson has your phone number. Yeah, the guy from the office. Yeah, looks in his phone and goes, "Here's Nick." Yeah, like to you that doesn't sound sound crazy, but to somebody who's listening to it in, you know, who's trying to get into the industry or is going one day, I hope they're like this dude has Nick has has Rain on on speed dial, right? right. Yeah. Or or you know, Jimmy can't, like I talk about Jimmy like he's my boy because he is my boy, but. Man, man, oh, no, I'll tell you. Oh, let me tell you. Let me. Here's tell real me. talk. This is tell what me. I mean by the slow boil. I did a show as an actor. I get to work with a lot of people. I did a show with Heather Lockley, okay, mm-hmm. for Lifetime. Um, I booked it, showed up to set, and I walked into the room and Heather was sitting there. And she was like, hey, Tyler, hey, I'm so glad to be working with you. And I stopped and I said, um you know, you're Heather motherfucking Locklear. <laughs> and she was like, she kind of laughed and giggled. And she was like, oh, thanks, sweetie. I was like,
1: uh, no, I don't think you get it. I don't I, think you get it.
0: Right. Like, if you would have told my 14-year-old self that I was going to be kicking it with Heather Locklear one day, bro, I wouldn't have known how to register. I, like, I wouldn't have known how to put that sentence in my head. Yeah. But because how our lives have moved and yours as well in such a gracious way, you know, we you find yourself in these unbelievable places with remarkable people. And when I say remarkable people, I just don't mean people that have some name status. Because of social media, you get to meet some of the most beautiful, incredible people that just live down the street, or uh, that are doing these incredible things that truly do give a damn. And yep. we just have this slow boil thing, man, where the things that are great to us sometimes get bypassed by our normalcy of it.
1: I, I love that. I love everything you just said. I feel it all the time. And I also am glad you said what you just said, because yes, we are, we are privileged, you know, and and, and it's, 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 it's as a result of us just like pounding the pavement and keep showing up and keep knocking on doors and keep being a giving person that doesn't expect anything in return. And life usually has a way of, so that's also true. But I, I'm so glad you brought up that remarkable doesn't just mean, you know, you know social status that doesn't just right. mean oh Jimmy Kimmel or Heather or Rain or whoever else because i just i just had this really cool moment i love tiktok i love tiktok <laughs> tiktok is one of the most amazing social media apps like if i had to give up every single one i think it i would i would not give up tiktok because <laughs> It's so easy to share and to get involved and to speak with people. And there, uh, yes, there's vitriol and there is hatred on that app, but it just seems like there's less than on, definitely less than Twitter. Definitely, definitely less than Facebook and Instagram. I don't even know anymore about Instagram. And so I, this, this, this girl with very few followers shows up on my for you page the other day and she's just asking all these questions and she's got like 400 followers and but she's talking about she came out of her like her very strict uh i think christian home and now she just recently came out as as gay and she has a girlfriend now and they're she's happier than she's ever been And her parents it was a TikTok about how her parents keep saying i want the old you back mm, and mm. she's like there is no old me i'm right. just growing up i'm just growing right. out like i'm just figuring and so like i'm like I think you're really cool. We start DMing. We're gonna get coffee. Cause I was like, I, I like how your brain works. I like how you're talking about these issues and these ideas. Cause she just asked a lot of questions in her TikToks. Sure, so she's just like sure. just about life and about ambition and about, you know, uh, you know, not having the approval of your parents. And so, yeah, that's a remarkable person, person as well. And I'm like, I love connecting with people that have 400 TikTok followers. Yeah, and people that have millions, and there's just some remarkable people everywhere.
0: And think about this, man. Most of us at some point only had 400 followers, unless we stepped into the game like Jay Z and Beyonce. All you know, there was a point where very few people knew who we were outside of our small circle. Yep. And we've just continued to put one foot in front of the other, and because of so many things that we cannot explain, people have come to know who we are, man. And it's a beautiful, blessed crazy life man
1: it's all of those things beautiful blessed crazy okay so for those listening we are going to talk about i i have i am thinking about and have picked out like a few themes in the book that i want to talk about among those are yes i do want to hit some highlights from your childhood but i want to talk about your your faith journey and purity culture And the stuff you wrestled through when you became a, you know, when you became a Christian, going from just like having sexual fun, uh, you know, whenever, however, to like feeling this like guilt now, and all the things that you talk about in the book. I want to spend a good chunk of our time on being a black man in America. This viral video that kind of you know, yeah, made the rounds and in in a lot of ways put you on the map for a lot of people, and a a lot of the other stuff that's going on. I mean, the the anti lynching bill that just passed in twenty twenty two less than 24 hours ago like mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll spend a good chunk on that and then because i have you on here i do want to talk about some broadway musical stuff because i'm a fellow <laughs> broadway junkie we'll we'll get to the lighter stuff after but we're gonna Dope. get heavy Dope. we're gonna get heavy for a bit um so before we get to some of the bigger themes that i just mentioned talk about the the who, what, when, where, and why's of Tyler Merritt growing up. Who are the people, places, and things that shaped you? Give us some of the highlights. If there's anything you want to dig into more, feel free to go wherever you want to with that. And then we'll get into some of the bigger stuff that you bring up. Again, in certain parts of the book, everyone, you got to get the book in whichever form, because there's a lot more in there that we're going to be able to cover in two hours or an hour and a half today.
0: Let me stop you right there on the book. You know as well as I do, there are a lot of books out there, and people try to come on the podcast and go read this book. Yeah, and sometimes let's keep it one hundred. Let's keep it one hundred. You'll read a book and you be like, "This is all right," right? Yeah. But let me ask you, as a reader and as a person who I'm, at, I I got thick skin, but it's more important for your listeners that follow you and listen to you. Give me your like quick, just couple like minute or so take on how you felt about this book and, and, and really like on a scale from one to I loved it, what was your, what was your, cause listen, on podcasts, we're like, go get a book. That's what people say. They come on yep. to promote their book. But I'm asking you, man, to express to your readers how, how this book made you feel genuinely. And I know I'm sitting here in front of you, um, but you know, keep it 100. Cause I want to give people that are listening an actual perspective of what they would get into if they choose to pick it up.
1: I'm not a bullshitter people on this podcast know um during last week's conversation with a wonderful friend and sex educator Brenda Marie Davies I posed the question has any guy ever not raped their wives Cause we were talking about consent. And sure, so like, sure. so and, and I admitted that I probably have raped my wife in the past because I grew up in a very dominant, like, so all that to say, like, I'm not one to bullshit. I've talked yeah, about yeah. everything. I've talked about everything on this podcast. Yeah, so I'm you not, went,
0: you just, you just went hard right there with that commentary. Dude,
1: yeah, <laughs> dude, a thousand percent And it, it. Like it was, it was a great conversation. Very, very, very good for me. And so far for many people that have listened. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to say, I don't care if you're in front of me or not in front of me. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel uh, I've read thousands and thousands of books, man. And in, in this current stage of my life, I'm 38 years young and I'm reading mostly, um, I'm reading mostly memoirs, biographies, autobiographies, because I'm in, because I'm growing in my role as a storyteller in various, uh, you know, platforms and stages, I just, I'm so fascinated by people and their lives. And so in in years and decades past, it was like mostly theology books. Then it was a lot of like world history and American history and, you know, stuff by all dead people, stuff by all living people. I've gone through all the stages and I'm reading a lot of memoirs right now. And this is a really good book. This is a really good book because it comes through as if, you are even, even when people are reading out on a page, obviously we've talked about the benefit of the audiobook. It sounds a lot like how you're talking right now. You, you stop at certain points, you end chapters abruptly, you end stories abruptly because it's just too hard to talk about. Like that's a whole different experience in and of itself. But even reading the words on the page and you're maybe even taking your style, but with someone else's story, it wouldn't have worked so well but mm-hmm. you've had the benefit of having quite the story, right? Right, right. Your age, which means you grew up in a certain era, which means your parents grew up in a certain era as black people from the South that moved all over, you know, everything from Alabama to Las Vegas to Alaska and everything in between. Um, You coming into a Christian faith at a very interesting time in your life. And then just all the stuff that's happened the last few years, Um. It reads really well. I'll shut up about it now, but I, I want to answer your question. Uh, it reads very well. It's a very good book. It's a very interesting book. I want to, I will read it again. Let's just put it that way. It's now in the category of books that I will read again. And that is rare because that's, there's a lot of fucking books to read.
0: That's a lot. That, and you've done both the reading and the audiobook, say so you'll go through it again. Um, I, I'm going to take that as, as, um, a great thing so i appreciate it and i and i like to ask most people especially those that i know that aren't bullshitters because we listen to so many podcasts and people go go get this thing and oftentimes they'll listen to the conversation and they won't dive into the actual thing that was talked about for a million reasons yeah you know um but i appreciate that man because i think it gives your listeners a a, a genuine hard understanding so to answer your question sim- simply put man las vegas is what shaped me you know um I lucked out coming into Las Vegas, like around five or six years old, and you don't realize how special a place is until you leave it. And since I was there, you know, from five until high school, my senior year in high school, um, you know, <laughs> Las Vegas is a place that you can get off of the plane, like fly, if you flow in right now, you can get off of the plane. The first thing you're going to witness when you walk into the airport is a slot machine. Like, you're going to walk off, and there's going to be slot machines right in front of you. That is not every city. Nope. You're going to be sitting, you're going to see people sitting there playing slots like it's crazy. You're going to get into your car, drive, and let's say you go down to, you know, go into the city, you go, like, where the hotels are, which people that live in Vegas don't unless they work in that area or have right. people visit. right. But say that you do, you're going to walk down the street and you're going to see almost pornographic pieces of paper thrown from people handing out things going, come to our club tonight and this, that, like, sex and nudity and like, I grew up around that, like on billboards, you know, when promoting strip clubs and now weed is legal. So when I go home and see my parents, there's these big billboards that are like, want to smoke, call Dr. Weed. You know what I mean? And you also you go home like to your normal, like to where you live and you go into a Seven Eleven or around here, it would be like a twice daily or a shell or whatever. And there's people playing slot machines in the 7-Eleven, playing video poker in the 7-Eleven where you went to go get your Slurpee. As a seven-year-old, I watched that all my life growing up. So when I got up and went to college in California, in, in Santa Cruz, where I couldn't even find hair products as a Black person. Like, I didn't know where to shop to get product for my hair. People were like, yeah, you can probably go into town and go to that one specific store. I'm like, wait, I grew up in a place that is so significant. And I didn't really realize it, bro. And I don't know if I talk about this in my book or not because we cut so much out. But I was watching the TV show, The Real World. It was They did a Real World Las Vegas, MTV Mm -hmm. Real World Las Vegas. And that was the first time that I realized that I lived in a crazy-ass place. (laughs) Like, once you step out and look into it and go, Oh, this isn't this isn't normal for people. But what ended up happening with that, which was, which was beautiful, yet scary. And the reason why I say scary is because when I talk about all those things, and then I say something like, you should raise your kids there. Like, like that doesn't sound like the two things should go together. <clears throat> but what it did for me, man, and I talk about this in my book, is it gave me a flavor of life yep. that I I seek out different people. I seek out people that are not the same as I am because for me, that feels like home mm. and to be able to say like, say that, to say seeking out um, proximity from people that are different than you. Yep. And that, that feels like home. Yep. That's a, that's a special thing, man.
1: Yep. I, I resonate with that so deeply, that particular part of what you just shared. I mean, I, I, I grew up in crazy places as well. I was born in upstate New York, but then my dad is a Guatemalan immigrant. We moved back to Guatemala for 10, 11 years. And then I traveled the world for six years. And then when I got married, we, I, I put an air quotes, settled down because we've lived in five states and 12 different homes in the last, you know, four, 12, 12, 13 years. Um, but it's been this constant, you know, during those years, we had three children, we have three children and it's been, you know, we live in New York city now. And, um, this is also, when, when I say New York City's my place, I feel like I've been trying to get mm. here all my life. Even as a young kid, I wanted to move to New York City. As, an, as a teenager, I wanted to move to New York City. As an adult, I wanted to move to New York City. We're here now. Wait, you're taking your three kids to <laughs> Harlem? <laughs> T- to Harlem? And I'm like, this is the best place in the world for them. They have seen anything and everything that you could imagine. They are, they are, they are worlds more progressive and compassionate and loving than I ever could have imagined to be right, right, at seven, nine, and 10. Right. I mean, they get it. And that's partly our parenting, even when we lived in, you know, actually, I don't know if you know this, we moved to New York from Nashville and you're in Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. in Nashville.
0: <laughs> so we were
1: there for four years. Uh, before, so 2016 to, to early 2021 and, um, Sure, there's, we were among very progressive, amazing damn giving people in Nashville, but it was also very hard to find that in Nashville because anywhere they went and everywhere they went, it was white people doing white people things, man. <laughs> and, and, and even when there was like weird <clears throat> stuff that we had to wrestle through, like one of the weird things that we had to wrestle through, I'll give you two, two things that happened in, in sure. Nashville that, were, that we had to wrestle through. That one was during our first couple of years there, we went to this like, this normal like parade down on Broadway. I forget what event it was. We were just out for the weekend. We didn't know there was a parade. We show up, we're walking downtown, we see a parade. So we go to this parade. Everybody's having a grand old time, super fun, and then I see fifty fundamentalist Christians uh, pr- uh, protesting abortion, and they're holding up they're holding up signs with you know dead fetuses and like all are- the stuff about like you're going to hell and God hates you and this and that and the other. Like that's the stuff you have, to, that's the real stuff. Not people in like true pain, not people in like difficult circumstances trying to make it, you know, in other places. It, it was just, so we had these like, yes, we did have tension points, but all that to say, I'm getting somewhere. And that is, yeah, yeah. I totally get you when you're talking about like, this is home and this is the best, you know, you should go raise kids in Vegas or you should go raise kids in New York or, or L.A., or Miami or Seattle or these different places that have a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Good, bad, ugly, everything in between. I'm like, I wouldn't trade your, for the, what was the second situation? You said there were, well, two things. I did, I did. And thank you for calling it out. The second one was actually the reason I wasn't going to tell it, but I will, since you asked is because it it's something that also happened everywhere, but it was during, um, you know, the beginning of COVID and then, when George Floyd was lynched in broad daylight in Minneapolis, and we started having these protests, right? In Nashville. And I, uh, my friends, my friend, Justin Jones, who is in Nashville, who is now running for, I think, uh, house 52, um, Tennessee house 52. Um, and this is a second time running. He, And I was down there for a bunch of the days as well, but they, we occupied the plaza for 62 days. He's actually writing a book about it. And there were 260, uh, of us arrested for no reason other than we're here in, in the people's plaza, asking to talk to governor bill Lee about the bust of a slave owning bigot in our state Capitol, right? Like all this stuff. And so we, you know, talking through but again, the reason I was like, I, I don't know if I'll say that because that was happening everywhere that was happening and sure, that was happening sure, everywhere, sure. but it still did happen in, 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 a unique way in Nashville. Now that we're here in New York, like I, I don't know if we'll be here forever. I would like to, but I do know that this is the greatest place to raise kids on the planet.
0: So let me tell you, So I got two things to say Go. one. Okay. Three really. Cause one's a question one man whenever I'm in New York City which is my favorite city in the world in Broadway of- baby
1: Broadway New- baby
0: and my girlfriend and I we talk about how like when she goes she likes to stay like off of like Times Square and all that me because I'm there for theater I want to be I want to be in a hotel that I can leave walk out of the door and go around the corner into a theater and then come back to my hotel and take a nap like I want to stay in the middle of the theater district that's yeah. neither here nor there but <clears throat> Bro, when I am in New York City and I see, like, a like a 12-year-old kid with a skateboard, like, zoom past me, knowing that's a kid that lives there, I'm like, I want to know your story. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is your life? Yep. What is your life that you are just, like, kicking it down? Like, this is, you were, I don't know if you lived down here, like, if you took the subway, like, I need, who are you and what is your story that you are like some 12 year old kid and this is just how you kick it. Like, I need to tell me where you go to school at. I need to tell me about your teachers. I need me to, then you tell me what your parents do. Like, I think as a kid growing up in an environment like that, how beautiful and how, how storied is it that what you're doing, man? I think that's um, fantastic. Next, you moved, I mean, it's what, it's two years ago you moved to New York? Uh, about a year ago, about so in mid pandemic. Yeah. So where at do you live in? Do you live in Harlem, Brooklyn?
1: Yeah, Harlem. Yep.
0: Okay. You, it mid pandemic. Yeah. You moved to Harlem. What yep. was that? What was that about?
1: So the situation was, we had moved. We were uh, in, in just south of Seattle for four years before that, and we had always been plane rides away from our families. And so we decided for a few years to get closer to our families, which none of us are from the South, but every, the majority of our family members, my wife's and mine have moved sure. to the South, Tennessee and North Carolina. So we're like, okay, where could we move close to them? So we're driving distance away so they can come see us more often, but that's like kind of cool or really cool. And so it was like Atlanta, um... In Nashville, we were thinking about Asheville as well if we wanted something like in the mountains and cool and like sure, hippie, like sure. Portlandy. But it, you know, getting in and out of there is horrible, and so we were like, okay, let's just do Nashville. We know some people here, and we didn't enjoy our time in Nashville. We met great people, we had, you know, great coffee, and my favorite cigar bar in the world is there that I visited. That was like my Cheers, and all this stuff. We found good people, but it just didn't feel like home at all. Sure, Not one sure. moment in the four years. So we started to, we wanted to move to New York pretty right away. That was always the dream. And then when Nashville didn't feel right, we were like, well, let's just, let's just speed it up a couple years and move to New York. Well, that was right around the time that I, in 2015, I blew up my former career in the nonprofit world and started as a self-employed storyteller. Didn't know what I was going to do, how it was going to develop. No money, no, no connections, no anything, just go for it. So moving to New York city a year into that, was a dream at best. Um, and so I tried and tried and tried and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to get a job, but I'll get one if it gets me there. And I interviewed for great jobs here, and I'm and it just nothing felt right. So then in at the end of the school year in 2020, so May of 2020, we were finally at a place where we're like, okay, we can move. Let's go. So we're planning to move and then Second week of March comes, the pandemic arrives on our shore. Well, it's, it, it arrives big time on our shores. Everything gets shut down, and obviously, New York took the brunt of it for the first, right, for the first right. four months. I mean, it was right. a desert. It was desolate, horrible. Body bags everywhere. So we're like, yeah, we're not going to move then. But we're thinking because the news and everything is telling us this. This is going to be like a few months. We'll move either at the end of the summer before the new school year starts, or we'll wait until you know, next spring after the school year is over. We, we weren't keen on moving in the middle of the school year.
0: Sure.
1: Um, but then the pandemic is still raging the next year. And it was like, you know what? We just got to go. One of the benefits of going right now is we'll still get pandemic pricing on our apartment, which was really good. You know, our, you know, we got like f- 35% off of the normal listing price. You wow. know, I'm actually about a month away from getting our like updated, lease for if we're going to stay or go yeah so it could go up quite a bit we'll see we might be moving i don't know but that was it It was like it just came down to okay we're a year into this nobody it's obvious that respectfully respectfully to the cdc and to fauci and all the people that are just trying to figure things out as they develop because there's no hate on them but respectfully no one knows what's happening Yeah. yeah the 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 general population of the world in a in In a lot of ways, especially the country I live in, they have moved beyond this thing and they don't give a shit how many people die, yada, yada, yada. So if we're going to go, we just got to go, right? And so we just, we did. We like, I in I think it was April, told our landlord in Nashville, like, we're leaving. Um, And I flew here and found an apartment and came back and we packed our shit up and moved.
0: Wow. So did you have a job that brought you into it? No,
1: no. Still just still just uh self-employed storyteller that for five years has spent more money than I've made because of starting all these projects and doing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, and still yeah. somehow we're here with our head barely above water, just making it happen.
0: Listen, man, the reason why I asked you that is because I know that there are listeners who are 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 hearing this right now who have talked about either wanting to move to New York or wanting to make a move in general. yep. And it's special that you did it in a time period where probably every force on earth was telling you not to.
1: Every single one.
0: I really do believe that when we hear other people's stories, how they have managed to, to go from one place to the other, that's huge. That's what motivates us. That's what changes us. That's what inspires us. And that's a pretty inspiring piece, man, that you were able to move to New York City in the middle. Like, bro that's one of those things that you tell 10 years from now of I moved, I moved to New York to the middle of the pandemic, which brings me to my third question Yep, is, um, okay. I guess I have a, a B to the second question. First, does it feel like home there yet? And if not, you know why? And then the third real question was, where did you live at here in Nashville?
1: Okay. First question. Abs of fucking lootly.
0: That's beautiful. I man. mean,
1: this is, So a little more context, we, I, I don't, I grew up in Guatemala. I came back in my early twenties, still was traveling the world. Wasn't really here a lot. then like finally, like was really here, living, married, trying to figure out where to go and all that stuff. Trying to build life as now a, a family at 25, not for one moment, except when I'm in New York city, not for one moment have I felt at home here? I don't, I don't like this country. I don't yeah, need yeah, to be sure, here. I'm, sure. um, I, I am the least, I, 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 I'm all for people feeling patriotic. Not. I'm not talking about nationalistic friends, right? I'm talking about patriotic. You, you could, and should feel proud of where you live. I'm fine with that. It, with all the bumps and warts and the bad stuff. That's not me. I, I, I exist here and I appreciate certain things about this country. And if, The situation arrive where we were to leave and never come back i think i would be just fine again except for one asterisk is new york city because new york city is the city where the entire world has come to her yeah man so i feel i mean every and, and again we live in this beautiful deeply storied place called harlem so even like zoom out of new york city this is the this is the i mean this is the place where the, where the Dutch and the Western Europeans slaughtered Native Americans, you know, in the name of "this is our land." Now, I mean, wh- yeah, you know, yeah. when you learn about the history of like why is Wall Street called Wall Street? There was an actual wall there, and you know, the the for the the small amount of money that we stole this this island of that I live on from the Lenape Indians. Like when you learn about all that, but then you like zoom in a little more, you're like, oh, Harlem. I mean, yeah. what an incredible complex right. place that I get to not come in and be white saviorish, not come in and be like, I'm going to change Harlem trash and all homeless and all beautiful people and all some of the best restaurants in the city and all some of the greatest parks in the city and all is just fine. As is yeah, I'm not yeah. here to change anything. I'm here to exist within all the stories that have been told here. So I feel super at home. I will say that with my life partner and my three kids, they love it as well. Full stop. Asterisk, it's hard. Like it's a new place. Yeah. Uh my wife's brother died by suicide a few months ago. Oh wow. I'm sorry to my thank you. And my wife's cat of eleven years died last summer. Jesus. And uh uh like all like our first year here has also been the year where our families and us personally have gone through the most shit stuff. Shit. That sure. we can't things that are outside of our control. So it has added a few layers of like, okay, we're going through all this while living in again, arguably the hardest city to live in yeah. in the US. It's hard to exist and thrive here financially, yeah. physically, that sure. the physical, emotional toll that this city takes on you, which to me gives me life, but for a lot of people it it tires them. Um so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a multi-layered, hell yeah, we're all in. I'm all in. If it was up to me, we never leave. This place sound, has my heart.
0: That sounds like New York.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whenever my friends, like I have a lot of friends here who have lived here for 7, 10, 15 years. Except for the ones that have always lived here, the ones that transplanted here, even if it was 10, 15 years ago, whenever I ask them, so what's your plan? Like, are you here long-term? And every time I get some version or this exact response, We're here until New York spits us out (laughs) because a lot of people feel the same way I do about this place. Like this is the best place ever. Sure. Sure. And also this city will let you know when she is done with you.
0: Right. Right.
1: And so that's just the reality is like, that's, I, I've been saying, oh, I'm here forever. And now even just a year and I'm like, no, I want to be humble in the presence of this great city, and say, "I'm here for as long as New York will have me."
0: I love that, man. That's 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 incredible. Yeah, and that's again, I think that's so helpful for individuals that are are listening and thinking about transitioning. in That
1: I agree, and and I've talked a lot about it, and that's a lot of the feedback I've heard is I'm, I'm always telling people, dude, like there are some of you who shouldn't do this, but I think the percentage is much smaller than people want to give themselves credit for. There are some people who shouldn't move, whether there are circumstances yeah, where it's like, no, it's not wise to go. But most people, like I'm super bullish on humans and human resilience and human strength and the ability to like almost make stuff up out of thin air if you need to survive. Right. Therefore, if you want to go do something, go do it. Right. Like immediately don't wait another goddamn second like (laughs) go especially if it's something that has to do with you feeling more fulfilled alive 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 fulfilled. yeah like man we've got you and i this might we might last 10 minutes after this show like choke on something fall over dead for no reason like who knows so why are you waiting for the situation to be right to go do the thing that you've always wanted to do or to live in the place you've always wanted to live it's like even if you last i know a lot of people only lasted in new york a year but then you get to say that you lasted in New York a year. You lived in New York City for a year. You yeah, didn't man. visit for a week on vacation. You existed here. You lived. You paid rent. You paid bills. You you know, you know found your grocery store. You did all that stuff for a year. That's yeah, pretty incredible, so go do it. <laughs>
0: Love it. And where you lived
1: in Nashville? We lived in West, just outside of downtown in the Nations, in West Nashville.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: yeah. Um, we poked around, tried to figure out where we wanted to live. And I loved it because the, now the nations as it is right now is pretty, I mean, it just went up in a hurry and it's very gentrified, but right across, there's a, there's uh Robertson Avenue. It was right next to our house. So we were like barely on the, what the, the Northwest side of the nations and literally, uh, a quarter mile from our house was across Robertson, which was where our kids went to school which was a very immigrant heavy, diverse neighborhood. Sure. And so I loved the juxtaposition of like a lot of white people doing white people things, a lot of white restaurants going up, white this, white that, and that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure. But also like over here, we had a ton of Hispanic immigrants, a ton of Middle Eastern immigrants, a ton of Asian immigrants in this neighborhood right there. So those were the kids that my kids, even though we were in white Nashville, very segregated still to this day, Nashville, like my kids got to go to school with where they were the minority. So like all my kids entered the school years as a minority, like all the kids in their classes, like they were the one of smaller than a handful of, and, and I'm Guatemalan. So they're not white, white, but you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're white kids. Like you know they grew up with like their first entrance into school was little girls with hijabs on kids that didn't know english that were still learning that just migrated so that was their experience perfectly priming them to move to new york where again (laughs) it's just a hotbed of everyone right right
0: where do you live i live off of piercy priest like past the airport okay yeah one one exit past the airport before hermitage and when did you move to nashville in, 20, in 2002, man. Oh, so you've so been
1: there a while. I've been
0: here almost two, 20 years. I stopped. I lost track after, like, 13 years. Like, people still to this day ask me how long I've been there. And I'm like, I'm 15, 17, 20. But I guess it's going on almost 20, 20 years. years I mean, 2000, yeah,
1: yeah, 20 years. And is that long-term <sighs> home or?
0: I don't know, man. I I don't know, bro. Like, I, I'm. I have the ability to be able to travel and go places. I like. I've been to New York City three times in like I think the past two months or something. You know. Um, but the cost of living is is super reasonable here, yep. and even though people are moving in here every single day and they're talking about how crazy the cost of living is getting, I'm still like, I used to live in California. Right. The the cost of living here is not crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so. I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, man. I, I just, I don't want to live in a place where most of my income goes to paying for the place in which I exist. Like most of my income. Yeah, Do you know what I I'm saying? That. I get that. Um, but, but let me be clear about that. New York City is an <laughs> exception to that. You know what I mean? For, for lots of reasons. Like how you travel. Like, you know, for walking, like I have a couple of really nice cars and I, I couldn't have that if I lived in places where most of my income went to paying for where I live. Yep. You know? No, so, I,
1: I, I totally get that. There is a trade-off and I'm glad I, I expected you to anyway, but I'm glad you said New York is the one exception. Cause I totally agree. Like we were thinking about moving to LA for a while because of all the TV stuff that I'm trying to do. And I was like, well, that'd be a great place to go. I have a lot of connections out there but I didn't even feel right about the incredibly crazy rent there Mm -hmm. because I don't feel like, like LA is great, but I don't feel like you have to be in LA to sort of all the time to sort of experience the being in the room where it happens. Like, yeah, but New York is so different. This is the one place that I don't mind paying. I mean, literally whatever. Right. Whatever, whatever right. you want from me, I will pay it because when I walk on
0: my doorstep, I'm in New York City. Dude, I you I we I, we share the same heart, yeah, in that, man. Yeah. and that's a and man to that.
1: Yeah. And if 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 this next question is un- inappropriate, just tell me to move on. But does that does would your geographical location somehow change if your relationship status moved forward with? The wonderful Miss <laughs> Jen Hatmaker. is that an appropriate question? Like, I mean, um, you guys, I know you guys are together, but I don't know, like <laughs> I don't know what that all means, you know?
0: yeah, I think first of all, congratulations on being the first person to ask me that question in public. Um, uh, well, here we're still new right yeah. And her and I are both very much so connected to the two places in which we live, yeah. and um we both have the means to be able to see each other. In a way that works, being far away from each other, yeah. you know. And uh, listen, we're still so new in this walker and I, that uh, we haven't even began to even talk about that, right? You know. But you, you know how? Well, you maybe you don't know this. Uh, being a my being my age and Jen being someone who is divorced and older with children, as soon as we started dating, day one, it was, "So are you getting married?" And we're like, "Wait, is this how, how this works now?" Like that. That's, that's what, wild. That, yep. you know what i mean and yep. we're we you know we haven't even allowed ourselves to go that far into it what we do know now is is that i'm happy living in nashville because i live in a great city yep. she lives in austin which is a yep. fantastic city yep. and we make it work in a beautiful way and you know we go and meet up in new york city I you love know it. you know you know what i mean it's like so i, I don't even think and we're, we're still so new man yeah you know maybe one day we can kind of revisit that but I appreciate you asking Now,
1: yeah I, and I, I say that not out of like nosiness and not and definitely not out of like oh you're a certain age so you guys are getting married right sure, like that's sure, not sure. it at all I just know that you both are strong people with you know great careers and doing a lot of like things yeah and so and, and but you did but to your point you all you you too live in places and you love a certain place that like all three of those places that you would kind of rendezvous in they're all amazing. Like, it's not yeah. like she lives in Canton, Ohio, and you're like, oh, I got to go to Canton again, you know? Nothing against Canton, but a lot against Canton. Like, you're like, it's like Austin, Nashville, yeah. and New York. Like, these are all great places to sort of exist in and and coexist in and uh, temporarily exist in, uh, and then go back to your place
0: and, see, yeah, and see where life takes you. Yeah, man. And listen, real talk, you know, we're dating. It, there's something to be appreciated about you know, being apart.
2: <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. You know, you
0: know what I'm saying? Like, I get to be apart from a person who I absolutely adore, but we, we don't, we're both, we both work hard, and it's okay that we're, you know. One of the first things she ever said to me that made me go, oh, I could be in trouble, is one day I text her and I said, hey, sorry, I was caught up doing something. My bad if I dropped off the face of the earth or something, and she said, we will never apologize for our hustle. Come on. And I said shit. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean, cuz that's not the kind of response you get from people oftentimes.
1: No. You know? That that's so. the response honestly you get from people who are mature, who have been through a lot, who are very secure in themselves and don't need the constant affirmation and prodding and poking of somebody else. I, one of my, we obviously totally different circumstances, uh, but my wife and I've been married for 14 years and I love one of my favorite things about our relationship is that we don't have to be around each other all the time <laughs> and that we, we obviously, because we are married and we have three kids together, like we live in the same home, Sure, sure. but we are so good with each other. And if I'm out, if I'm out five nights that week, like at a party, at a meeting, at a at a concert, whatever, like she just she's good with her like alone time. And if she's like, hey, I got to go fly to see my family, can you watch kids and like make it work this week? Boom, let's book the ticket, you know. And it's like there doesn't have to be this like like I feel bad. I'm not saying it's wrong because I'm not a relationship expert, but I feel bad when I do see people sure, that can't sure. not be together. They're just super clingy, like you're my everything. I'm like, she's not my everything. I married her. I love her so much. We had three right. kids together. We are good. And also, if they weren't around, I would still be a whole fucking person. <laughs> and so, right. how do you, how do you how do you commit your life to somebody while also recognizing that, like, no, I'm good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, it was hard for me, man, when I first started dating Jen, because everybody was going, I see it in your eyes now. Like, I see the sparkle that he brings and the joy and you're just glowing. And, and I don't want to be like, yo, you she was glowing before me because if yep. she wasn't, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not here to make somebody glow. That's really good. I, like, I need I need you to be glowing already if, yeah. if we're going to be together and so i've i've made it public to say to people like i appreciate the idea that you're saying she's all these things but she was all these things before i showed up you know
1: 100% 100% she was a queen and doing all sorts of amazing stuff way before Tyler Merritt came around and if if it keeps going you two will make each other better but right. not not because she wasn't better or you weren't better beforehand um Okay, we are... We can be talking for forever, obviously. We can be talking. You
0: and I should have met separately from this podcast and just talked on the phone for like five hours and then tried to come here and be semi-productive. I think people
1: (laughs) will mostly enjoy this. (laughs) Let's just say this. We're about an hour in. If people are still listening, then they're with us through the end of this because they're they're down for the banter. They're down (laughs) for the chit-chat. I mean, people know... That I am not an interviewer. I'm not interested yeah. in interviewing. I'm interested in having a good conversation. Dope. That gets from at, at, at most of the time gets from point A to point B, and if not, oh well. People still listen, so I think we're. I think I think we're good. Um, talk a bit about your. We're going to skip around this book, but I do want to get to the big themes that I had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really get to all your family stuff, except for Las Vegas and a couple things. So people, I mean, really though. I want people to read the book because you really do, you you honor your parents and also talk about the the real stuff, yeah, the the yeah. military side of your dad, like all the stuff, right? So I, I love how you sort of really dig into it in, in long form, like really, and throughout the book you wove it in there really nicely just like all the nuances and stuff of your family so again another reminder to go order the book if you haven't paused this conversation and done that already um let's talk about your faith journey um and also specifically when you at that church camp when you quote unquote gave your life to god as a uh not quote unquote because it was very real like a horny young dude that like (laughs) had to start facing the realities of what you thought at the time were the things that were expected of young christian men right this gotta stop cussing you gotta stop having sex you gotta stop doing all this stuff talk about that and then i want you to kind of end up i do want to talk about okay how is your faith evolved where are you today with all of that because i know it's still very real for you and it's very real for me but it looks different. It was very tidy growing up. It was like, these are the things I believe this is what it means to be a Christian. And now it could not be further from the truth (laughs) as to all of the various things out in the universe that make me who I am, which I think is most of the time still a Christian. So go on that for a while.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah, man. So I have the distinction of being one of those individuals who did not, weren't, didn't work, wasn't birthed into Christianity. So, um, I, being black and being part of a black culture, I was a part of church, um, because that's what people do on Sundays. Um, oftentimes, but I didn't have a religious experience. Like I, I, as a kid, I, you know, I was one of those forced into going to church and all that. Um, but in high school, early in high school, I ended up having a mountaintop experience. And the, the the probably the most problematic thing about my conversion to Christianity at that young age is that I became fully aware in that moment that I, I knew in that moment that I was forever going to be changed. Like I knew that what was happening was not a pit stop in my storyline like it was now something that had comp- was going to shift me for forever I had a girlfriend's mom once in high school one one of the the girlfriend who from the ice cream story oh, her yes. mother from her mother said to me she said tyler you do realize that you're always gonna love jesus right mm. and I was like what does that mean she goes you know what you were going to grow up and you're gonna watch." All, so many of your friends decide this isn't for them. You're going to watch family members who talked about Jesus once in our... She, she was like, you've fallen for Jesus in a way that I can see it in your eyes. Mm. You're, not, you're not leaving him. And I was like, this is weird, but okay, cool. Yeah. What she... I knew that. Like, I, like there was something about my Jesus experience that I knew and it was problematic. The reason why I call it problematic is because I could see that no matter what was going to happen, it was going to be me and Jesus now, mm. you know. And what I didn't understand is how horrible his followers were, <laughs> you know. What I mean? Oh like God, some, yeah, you know. And and forgive me for anybody who just heard me say that, and they went, "Wait, what do you, what do you mean? I'm one of them." Um, if you took offense to that, you may be one of the people I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um I I began to learn who Jesus was from a very through a very small, youthful scope. And I was discipled in a very problematic way. And because I was so new, I took whatever anybody told me, you know, I joke about in the book, but I'm also not joking at all. Like I was told you couldn't listen to anything but Christian music at all. That's all you could listen to. So I missed the Chronic album in its actual form. Like the Chronic album happened and I was listening to Sandy Patty. Come on bro. bro. Like I look back on that now and I go, that itself should be be the example of bad theology. (laughs) Like, Who was the mother effer that made me miss the chronic album? I, yep. I, I, I need, I want names, yep. you know what I mean. Um, but thank god I also got to experience Sandy Patty, and we're homies now, so that's a beautiful thing. Come on, uh, <laughs> so who's one of the dopest people in the world? So I, I just got a lot of bad theology, you know, right when I walked into it, and this, the So one of the chapters in my book is called, my loosely, the title is called, I was doing perfectly fine then damn it, here comes Jesus. And then the next chapter is called, I'm supposed to do what? Because that's what my life, that's what happened. Like, I had this beautiful, magnificent, wonderful thing. And then suddenly I went, wait. And for the first time in my life, bro, I I started to deal with guilt. Like I didn't have guilt before Jesus, like not that kind of guilt. Like, suddenly I'm going, I'm feeling bad about, I'm handling relationships that I handed pretty gracefully before God horribly now. Yeah. You know? And I talk about in my book about suddenly all these great, fantastic Mormon people that were in my life, because Las Vegas is like Mormon Central, like, they suddenly became my enemies, you know? Mm. And I wanted to fight with them on theology. Yeah, just sinners God. everywhere. Right. And, you know, suddenly... And because I hadn't really wrangled my sexuality, um, and when i when speaking of sexuality, I'm, I'm straight and I love women, but I, I had a quite a bit of physicality and sex up till becoming a Christian. But I, it's not like suddenly I became a Christian and it just went away. And you know, so I would go and make out with a girl after becoming a Christian and be like, "I can't make out anymore," and she'd be like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Cause God told me to," and she's like, "You're fucking nuts, dude." Yeah, I'm like, I, in retrospect, I go. That probably seemed abusive, yeah, <laughs> to her. Yeah. you know what I'm you know what yep. I'm saying? Totally. Um, like I used you until God told me not to. Yeah. Like that's the theology. That's where I was rolling. That's that was my young days, man, and that kind of stuck with me. That it, it stuck with me until I, I I moved into my senior year and I went to a performing arts high school, and I started to soften up a little bit. Mm. Because the love piece of God started to become more evident in my life because I started to fall in love with people again, Mm. right? I started to fall in love with my my classmates and my teachers in a way that felt like how God loves people. And that was probably the first sign that some of this young theology that I picked up was probably a little weird. Because I started loving people in a way that I was going... I'm seeing past the fact that you're gay. I'm seeing past the fact that you're Jewish. I'm seeing past the fact that you're Mormon. I'm seeing past the fact that you have no faith at all. I'm just loving you. And I and I don't know how to reconcile this love that I have with you for you for this weird theology that tells me that I'm only supposed to love you if you claim that my way is the only way. Mm. Then I went to Bible college, right? Um, when I... Sh- didn't want to go to Bible college and shouldn't have. Like, I should have gone to UCLA or Chapman or NYU or AMDA or anywhere that theater schools were, like, dope. Yep. And instead, I went to this small Christian college in Northern California. And when I got there, there was such a a, a mixture of Christian people that one of the first people I meet is this white dude who, like, was into ice tea and Ice Cube and all these things and had pictures on his wall. And I walked into, into his room, his name was I, I probably shouldn't say his name, but yeah. I walk in and I, I see this dude and, um, no, he won't care. His name was Scott Ottman. So I see Scott Ottman, and, um, he's this white dude who rapped and I'm like, uh, Hey bro, uh, you know, we go to Christian school. Are they cool with you having these, po- like, are, are they, and he was like, uh, you you don't listen to rap music, black kid in this mostly white school. And I'm like, no, I did, but I listen to like POD preachers. Into dis- preachers in disguise. And I listened to the I, I want to say dynamic twins, like these rap groups, gospel gangsters, who were actually pretty hard, by the way. They, I they
1: were yep. I can gospel attest. gangsters
0: were actually hard, right? But, anyways, and he, he said, all he said to me was, Yo, man, you got some wrong intel, bro. It's this is okay. And I went, excuse me. And I was like, What's your major? He's like, I'm a pastoral ministries major. I was like, You're gonna be a pastor? And he was like, Yeah, Amazing. and I was like, So I can listen to this. And he was like, yeah, who told you that you can't? And as I started to kind of give him this theology, he was like, um, have you had hermeneutics before? And I was like, no. It's like, let me walk you through some her- hermeneutical interpretation. And this dude basically broke down to me some things on rap music. And I went, all right, man, I need to go back and revisit this chronic album now <laughs> that I've had a three-year break. It's from.
1: dusty. It's dusty <laughs> over there.
0: Right. So all that to say, man, that was kind of a picture. Like, yeah, I, I birthed into this kind of crazy theology and not, not even listen. I, that sounds like I'm insulting people that that's who they are. What you what people believe, um, if that's where you are, that's your personal thing. Forgive me for calling it crazy because it listen. You have the right and and ability to believe whatever you want to believe. And whether it's plugged into your history with your family or it's based on the experience you have, I not only respect that, I honor that. The Christianity that I was birthed into was not the Christianity that I have come to know now. Yeah. And um, it took me a while to get there, man. And it took a lot of um, mistakes, Cause I won't say they're failures, but a lot of mistakes that were turned into lessons to bring me to a place now where I feel not only solid in who I am as a, as a follower of this Jesus that I knew I'd always follow, but also as a black man in America who I was on a podcast once on a predominantly like a, a bro, a podcast with predominantly white people listening, mostly white people. And I said these words, I said, yo, Christianity—the word Christianity—is synonymous to racism. <laughs> like the host was like, uh, "Can you expound?" And I'm like, I, I, I "Do do I need to?" Yeah. Like American Christianity is synonymous to rate the word racism. Like when you think Christianity, you don't first picture a black person. You sometimes, oftentimes, immediately att- a. a attach that to nationalism or you attach that to a white long haired Jesus that is telling you America first. And let me be clear. That's not everybody. That's not every, not everybody feels that way. And black people, we are not all monolithic. And I preach that there's no one singular way to be black. There's no singular way to be Christian, but you know, as I've gotten older, man, This Christianity that I first walked into has changed into, uh, 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 you know, what it is now for me.
1: I found so much of me in that explanation of your faith evolution um, in that you're kind to not call it crazy. And you're kind to sort of give that clarifying statement because, and I think you're right in that not everybody in those, a lot of it is just, you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of people just, they are still, um, I would use the word stuck in, um, they have not progressed, they have not evolved. And they believe that any progression or evolution of their faith would be heretical, would be a step in the wrong direction. So they're staying there. They don't even know why they're staying there, but they're there. So you're kind of do that. I, I, I am very clear that I think that most people in those, I, I do think that most of conservative evangelicalism is harmful, it's toxic, and it is hurting the most amount of people. We're all hurting people. Mm-hmm, we're all hurting mm-hmm. things. We're all destroying certain little things in our lives, and we're trying to minimize that, right? We're trying to leave the planet better than we found it, uh, little by little in our own unique ways. But I do believe that you're, you're so right. What you said on that podcast that left them tongue twisted, you know, that American Christianity is synonymous with racism in, in all the ways, like in, in way more ways than one, it's not even like one part of it. Like yeah. it is synonymous in so many ways. And I guess let's, um, let's pivot to that for, um, let's, I mean, there's more that I want to hit there, but I think for the sake of time, maybe we'll come back to some other stuff about, um, your early christian life and sexuality and things i do if we have time maybe at the end i'm gonna make you because you might not want to i'm gonna make you tell the kelly and the ice cream story just like in your own (laughs) words like now because that when when you read it was actually way better when you read it on the audiobook because it was like i was starting to pick up on the way that you were saying it what was happening on the phone right yeah but i was like wait is that what's happening Or is something else? And then when it finally, like, when the punchline came, I was like, oh, my God, what a crazy phone call to be part of. And now everybody's wondering what we're talking about. We'll get to it here in a second. Black man in America, your faith has evolved. Uh, Your your understanding of what it means to be a black man in America has evolved. You've lived in all these unique places that view race uh, and black men and black women differently. Um, Here we are. Let's start present day and work our way back. It is March 30. We're recording this March 30, 2022. Little over 24 hours ago, after 200 attempts in Congress over the past 120 years, we have finally passed an anti-lynching bill, a comprehensive anti-lynching bill, the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill. What? Like, I don't mean to start here, but like, let's start here because we could bring up so many examples that you talk about in the book that we all know about that are things that we've seen in real time on social media. But like, how in the year of our Lord 2022, after 200 attempts in Congress, how are we just signing this? Where are we at right now, Tyler? What is your view on what we're experiencing right now? We've seen a lot of, we've seen as a million pundits and journalists and reporters have called it, you know, a race, a race reckoning over the last five, six years, whatever that means, that means a lot of things. But like, here we are, even five, six years ago, this should have been passed, let alone 120 years ago. Where are we right now? What are you thinking? What are you kind of working through right now?
0: So let me say this. We could have a whole podcast based on just this conversation and, and just this. I'm going to make this conversation probably one of our shortest topics that we talk about the whole time. You ready? Yeah. Why and wh- why are we here and what's going on? Let me first tell you. Let me tell you who is not surprised by the fact that this has just been passed. Mm. Black people. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we are here still is because of white people. Now, If you don't... I have nothing against white people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Google who my girlfriend is. (laughs) Okay? Um, Nothing against white people. But simply put, black people are not surprised that this just passed. Yeah. And it is because white people have kept it from passing. Like every other ridiculous, asinine thing that has to do with any sort of black movement forward for black people. It's white people who, who are... Uh, scared to death that forward progression of anyone outside of themselves means the end of who they are. When you control the laws, when you control the bills, when you control the, when you redline, when you have this kind of control, which is all based in fear of losing what you think is yours, you end up in 2022 finally saying lynching is not okay. So eh, we can complicate it. Like we can, we can elongate it and talk about it a million ways. But the simple act is, is that, and like I said, not all black people are monolithic, but black people are not sitting around right now going, oh my God, this is cra- This is insane, Nick. Now we're going, yeah, that's, that, that's on brand. <laughs> like that sounds, that sounds about right. That's, that sounds about right. And sadly,, um, it's white people's fault, man.
1: Yeah. I don't know what else to say. No, that's that's <laughs> that's fine. That's more than fine because that is the reason. And any, and I think I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that 99% of the white people listening right now, if they've been on board with let's give a damn and what's going on in the world, and they've hung on for more than a few episodes, and they kind of know who I am and the kinds of conversations we have, I'm going to go on a limb and say that no one that is white and just listen to this pod, listen to that five-minute thing that you just shared, is surprised or offended by that. Because it's true, and many things can be true at the same time. In the same way that you and I can identify as Christians still, in light of the fact that Christians are some of the worst people that I've ever met in my life means that more than one thing can be true at the same time. It means that nuance is incredibly important. It means that living in the gray is incredibly important. Mm. It means that it means that you as a black man in America along with the other tens of millions of black Americans can not be surprised at what just happened. And that makes me a, that makes me so much more like, uh, I admire you all so much more. (laughs) And also I want to punch a fucking wall. Like I want to just go, I, I saw Reverend Barber, God bless him, you know, was at the signing yesterday. And I love that all that Reverend Barber does with the Poor People's Campaign. Such a great advocate and activist, it's amazing, and wonderful yeah. human. And I'm sitting there thinking, how how, how do you sit here and uh, rejoice and like not just stand up and pull out your hair and say, how are we just doing? Because that's I I have a very like I'm I'm as I get older, I am controlling my impulses more. <laughs> but I could be, I mean, unchecked and without the right people in my life, I'd be a horribly just like loud and abrasive person that just never shuts up and is always thinks he's doing the right thing by calling out all the injustices and all the bad things happening in the world. But it just, it it's wild to me that Reverend Barber just sits there and claps his hands after it's, it's signed and says, we've got work to do you know, and has a few minutes with VP Kamala Harris and like says, I, I'm, I'm believing that better things are ahead. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like not, Oh my God, in a bad way. Just, Oh my God. And a, how are you doing this? How do you yeah. do
0: this day in and day out? Yeah. 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 So, so let, let me speak to that on two levels. I can't speak for Reverend Barber, but how, how dope is that dude? Like incredible. Really. Um, but but let me let me speak to two things. As a black man in America, I do not have the privilege to not have hope. Mm. I I just don't have the privilege to not hope that the that that tomorrow is going to be a better day. Therefore, when we ex, when I experience things that seem like they're ridiculous, asinine, stupid, crazy, all of those things, I look at them, and and it's not that I don't have my moment, but I go okay. Here's hope for tomorrow. We've had a, we've had something today. Now here's on to hope, continued hope for tomorrow. Um, with that um, comes this thing that I didn't talk about in my in this book, and I might talk about it in the next one that I write. But I use this analogy, and if people have listened to podcasts for me, I know I've said it at least once on a couple of podcasts. Um, this is how I feel about probably how Reverend Barber feel, and, and a handful of people how I feel most of the time, man. I, as a black man in America, feel like I live on my Bruce Banner shit, and this is what I mean by that. As a black man in America, I, I, I love in the Marvel movies where um, there's this moment with uh, where somebody says, "Hey, we need the green guy. We need the green guy now," you know. And um, I forget which Marvel movie it was. So we need the green guy now, and uh, Bruce says he says he turns around and he goes, "See, that's the secret. I'm always angry." and he immediately turns, right? And he's like I got this under control, right? That's how I feel as a black man in America. I am constantly incredible hulk. Like I am I stay angry. Like I stay angry, right? But to be effective in a world that I have to try to find hope yeah. in every day, I live on my Bruce Banner shit. You follow me? I do follow but you. But don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. My secret is, is that I stay angry. (laughs) So what you may see that comes out in, you know, 18 chapters of a funny book, joking from everything from Gwyneth Paltrow and vaginal steaming to, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish, you know, or the Cranberries, you know, is is also a man that wakes up every day, walks outside of his, you know, outside of his door as a six foot two black man in America and has to go, well, what kind of shit am I going to have to deal with today? You know, and um, I think that same Bruce Banner, Hulk, um, Bruce Banner, uh, Incredible Hulk mentality is uh, something that you see in so many outstanding black men in moments like when you saw Reverend Barber.
1: I think that's the secret. You just shared the secret, which is this beautiful cocktail of hopefulness, and anger like if you are just angry and you don't have the hope i think that's when you do some stupid shit. and you know but if you have this hope you approach every situation that arises including a 120 year overdue anti-lynching bill um with with calm with ease And with like, yes, tomorrow will be better. Look at what just happened. Like it finally happened. Not it finally happened. What the (laughs) fuck? But like it finally happened. Let's move forward. One foot in front of the other. Um, And I'm sure some of this also has to do with, you know, you bring up this incredible um, uh, book by W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, The Souls of Black Folk, 1903, um, about the double consciousness, right? Can you yeah. talk because lot I think a lot of people listening might not be aware of the conversation or what does double consciousness mean for being both black and American? Uh, but talk about that. I know you've already you've already addressed it without calling it double consciousness, but like what does that sure. mean for you? How does that keep you even keel in your life and work to be thinking through that idea?
0: Yeah, I, I, I use probably the best example is for my mother, right? Like my mother who is a black woman in America who came out of Utah, Alabama, out of the deep, deep south. Um, her name is Jerry Merritt and living through the things that she lived through as a black woman in the world, um, knowing what her thinking about what her limitations were hmm. and what people were expecting her to be. Having complete understanding of what that is, but then also living in a world where she ends up becoming a banker and she wants to grow and succeed in that. And because her name is Jerry, a name that um, people can't figure out if it's a man or a woman, you know, she uses that in her advantage to go, let me get you in the bank. And once I have you in my presence, let me go to work. You, you walked in thinking I was Jerry, Miss. Mr. Jerry Merritt, you know, yep. you've come into the into my world now and you see that I'm a black woman named Jerry. Now let me get to work and do this darn thing. Yeah. Um, we live in this world where we have our expectations, what people um, put upon us, um, things that we have to live through in a very um, harsh world, not only for people of color, but just a world that can just be shitty. We also live in this world where... Um, my mother had to raise a black child in that same place, mm. you know? And what does it take to be that mom in a world where sometimes just feels shitty and living in those two places? Um, is that, is that double consciousness is and and in hear me, that's just in that very specific situation. Right. Um, I think we walk through a lot of that in so many different ways. Um, which we could go into and we can talk about for forever.
1: No, I mean, maybe, I mean, I really enjoy talking to you. Maybe we do, you know, you said a few minutes ago, we could do a whole podcast on this. And I (laughs) honestly would love to at some point, you know, I've heard this from, I've had this same conversation with many others, um, Clint Smith uh, Lisa Sharon Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing with with uh, Frederick Joseph soon, um, and yeah. I've had Joel Leon and a bunch of other amazing people that all have a perspective on this. But um, yeah, I would love to spend more time on this with you in a different setting. If you're yeah, if yeah. you're down to do that, um, you know, I I, I I was so I'm so glad you brought that up about your mom, who not, not just a banker. I mean, I love the story, which people should again read your version of it but you know starts as a teller yeah and within i mean in record time really becomes the manager you know like that's insane for that to be happening to again in that time frame in history to a black woman and then i love that part that you brought up like you know telling her assistant like don't use any pronouns with me like just say you know jerry merritt yeah. And and just leave it at that. So because if pronouns were used, if she was used, if her was used, I'll get you on her calendar, whatever. They don't show up. This one yeah. businessman doesn't show up to do business with this bank. And and but but she knew that if they just got in the door, deal's done. We're gonna make the, the fucking deal. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's that hustle, man. It's the hustle. That's that, that's that hustle that. Even just thinking about it, it makes me emotional, man. Thinking about um, the shit we got to do to get by, bro. Yeah, you know what I mean—the stuff that we have to do to 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 get by. And I was I, I, when I was talking about the Incredible Hulk thing, I was thinking about how when I did the video before you call the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had so. I, I, when I tell you I've had so many people all over the world say to me, especially white people, um, one of the things that I love, Tyler, is you spoke so calmly and clearly, and patiently, and soft, and you didn't yell. Because you didn't do all of those things, you were able to express your point in a way that was so much more effective. And I'm not. I'm not saying that they're not wrong. I do think that wh- what I intentionally did on this video with purpose um, went farther in the world because of how i how I went about um, talking and speaking. yep, but do not get it twisted. There was a whole lot of fucking yelling that took place before I put three minutes of my calm speak on video. yep. there's a whole lot of struggle that took place before my mom decided I'm not going to use pronouns. She had to walk through some shit before she got to that point, you know? Um, I had to go through a lot of things before I was able to pen my story in a true and honest way. I spent two years in the desert, man. Two years disappearing, like thinking I may never come back into the real world. To come back and be able to say, let me speak my truth to you now that I've had some time to sit on this, you know? Um I'm trying, bro, I'm trying my best. This is going to sound like a big, a hard left we're taking. I'm trying my best to avoid this, a subject that I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but to not talk about, to not talk about the thing that happened within the last 48 hours on the Oscars with Will and Chris, um, it's difficult because you're the first person that I've really had a conversation with, um, uh, in a public forum about this, but, uh, do you want to
1: talk about it? Because that was I, one of the questions I had was wanting to get because you posted I, about it.
0: I I do. I would
1: love. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Hard. It's not even a hard left because it's very. I mean, there's just a lot going on there. Um,
0: let's and, go. And this go for ties it. into. And it, it ties into what I was just talking about. Okay. Oh, God. If there is anything that's going to ruffle, ruffle, ruffle feathers here, it's about to be. Like, I need to try to control myself with what I'm about to say to you because you're the first person I've talked to you about this. Man, I have posted some crazy shit on the internet before that having to do with, I posted a video called These Are Our Kids talking about trans kids. Yep. Okay? That has thousands and thousands of people that have viewed it. And I have got less of a response. I have got more of a response to this post that I, I made about Will, Will Smith and Chris Rock. More harsh response. More um, taking out a contents response. Like more anything from white women than I have ever in my life. Okay? Mm-hmm. So to, to give some context... When the Will and Chris thing happened for me, I was sitting in a bar, a restaurant, a bar restaurant with Jen, who's white. On the side, over here on the TV next to us, we could see the, see what was going on. And she goes, oh, Chris Rock looks really young. And we start talking about it, but we can't hear it. And so we carry on with our late night dinner. And suddenly my phone starts blowing up. Like bl- blowing up, my cousin FaceTimes me. I look over and I'm like, "What is happening?" And she was what like, "What just happened? Yeah." I go, I go, "Why are you Why are you FaceTiming me right now?" And she's like, "Tyler, did did this really ha- did this thing really happen?" And I, she explained. I was like, "What happened?" She explains it to me, and I went, eh, "That sounds like it probably really did happen." Is was my initial thought. And Jen sitting across from me, and she's like, "What's going on?" And she's watching me freak out. But I'm not freaking out, bro. Hear me. I am not freaking out because I am thinking, oh, my gosh, the drama behind all this. Um, my first initial thought process was I need to talk to some other black people. Mm-hmm. And she watched this happen with me. She watched this happen. So she's watching her black boyfriend, like, take take all this in in real time because my fear was exactly what happened. I went white people are not going to be able to process what just took place. They're not going to be able to process it. Like they're going to lose their shit over this and we don't need this right now. Like this this is not this is not going to be good. And so Jen's watching me bro like you okay? And I'm like I text Anthony Anderson because I know he's like in the midst of what's going on, I hit him up and I and I said something to him, and he basically said, "You're right, 100." There's these three black people in the bar that I see their phones blow up because they get the text message, or they get a Twitter video of it. I watch them watch it. I walk over to them and go, "Let's talk about this." We I leave Jensen the table. We have this whole moment, and the reason why I needed to have this moment amongst black people is because I was going. How do we explain this shit to people that are going to begin to call this everything else? And so I didn't say anything, I didn't post about it. A very well-known white, influential, influential woman posts something not six minutes after it happens. And I look over to Jen and I went, I, can't, I, I need this to not exist in the world what she just wrote. And
1: And then that thing happened a million times before your eyes over the next 24 hours.
0: Over the next 24 hours. The great part is this influential white woman who we were talking about the next morning came back and went, I talked to some black people and decided this probably wasn't the best thing to do. Please forgive me, right? And Jen said to me, you were right. And I was like, I wasn't trying to be right. I'm I'm just letting you know, like black people are having a different experience with this whole thing, man. And so... All my, all my posts said, man, um, is I the general post was basically this. Hey, y'all, this is family business. Let Chris, Will, Jada, who are lifelong friends. There's stuff we don't know. If you think Chris Rock just went, if you think Will Smith just went up and slapped a stranger, you are incorrect. All I know is there's some shit we don't know about. And, and everybody's making commentary now talking about spousal abuse, domestic violence, talking about the aggression of black men in America and how if it were white people, it would be okay. Like they have now, people have delved into shit that yep. this was not about. So I encourage people. Can you just do me the favor and lean into your black friends right now? Because sadly, and I opened up the whole thing with saying violence is bad, this is not good, but I also said, hey, sadly, this is something that's not new to us. We are not monolithic, but hear me. The shit that just went down on national TV publicly in the worst possible way is, is we see that over um, <laughs> uncle, our uncle and our cousin playing dominoes or or grandpa saying the wrong thing to one of his old black friends and them getting into it during halftime of the Super Bowl. Like, and what's going to happen here is that situation is going to be fixed shortly between those three Black people. So when Chris came along and didn't press charges, Black people weren't shocked. White people were. White people were like, how in the world is this not it? And I was going, this is family business. And that's all I was trying to imply was it's not right. Violence is never right. Sadly, this takes place in our communities and we see it and that's not right. It's never, it's always bad. But just take a minute before you decide to jump to conclusions and drop your five paragraph scenario on domestic violence that lean into your Black people on some advice here. And you're going to hear some different things, but just lean in. That's all I'm asking. That's, bro, that's what my post said. And it also, also was... To my, and I didn't even say to my white friends. I just said, just leaning to black people. Bro, bro, bro. Nick, Nick, listen to me, dog. I'm listening. To, like, you had thought that what I wrote, you had thought that what I posted was this. White women, we don't want to hear from you. So don't you ever say shit to me about violence because violence is good. And I promote it, especially I love within violence. The, especially within the black community. White women, I don't want to hear uh, your thoughts on how awesome black violence is. On uh, because my DMs and comments, bro. Every like, I text, J- I text Janet and was like, I text, and the people I have white women who work on my team, right, that help like rotate things out. They were blowing me up, going, "We don't know how to control these white. They have lost their shit over this post." Saying things like, how dare you condone violence? And I'm like, the fuck? And saying, um, so what you're trying to say to me, Tyler, is that because Black people in closed doors and families um, have had rumbles, that, that they can do this in front of my children on national TV? The fuck? Um, are you trying to tell me, Tyler, that you're excusing it because you're Black? The fuck? Are you trying to tell, are you trying to tell me, Tyler? Because I'm white, I can't have a voice. The fuck, like, bro. I turned off my comments to yeah. give my team a break. Yeah, yeah. You don't need that. Do you, do you think that helped? No, no. Because those white women went. Oh, I can still send you a five page message.
1: Yep. So and I can I can still share the story and tag you in the story, all that stuff. And tag yep.
0: it, bro. I'm like. Yo, white people do not like being told to just listen.
1: Yeah. No, 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 no. Like
0: they, they do not like being told to just listen. And in the 24 hour period that I posted that commentary, here comes Will going, I'm sorry. This was bad. I suck. Forgive me. We're handling this. I'm sorry, Chris. Here comes Jada going, all y'all that are bringing division, let's bring peace. Let's time for healing. Yep. Because this shit is not new to us. Let us handle this shit. Whew.
1: Do you know the, the? It's even funny after Will's Apologize came out, which I uh, 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 applaud. Like it was, it was. There was no excuse making. There was no anything. It was just, I'm sorry to Chris. I'm sorry to the Academy. I'm sorry to everyone you know, again, no, no excuses made. That was a proper apology. Well, I, I can't tell you how many people I saw that was sharing that or commenting on it about how, oh, coincidence. The academy just came out with their apology and now his comes out. I bet you his team wrote that and I bet you this and I bet you that and I bet you he didn't want to do it. And I'm like, you guys can't ever fucking be satisfied. And again, it goes back to when you and you understand this from a black experience. I understand this from a Latino slash like white experience, but still it's the same in that when you have lived enough life and you stop seeing people as one thing and start seeing them as a lot of things and start seeing them as like, nobody don't try. This is what happens when you try to, when you have Will Smith on a pedestal and he's perfect and sure he's been through this stuff and all that, but but, or Chris Rock on a pedestal, or Jade on a pedestal, or just celebrities on a pedestal, when they, for one moment, have a yeah. moment, yeah. Where, again, n- us not knowing even the history, but even if there was no history, and he just plain fucked up. Yeah. Still, Will's complicated. Will's hurt. Will's a person that's been through a lot, and he's had he's had eyeballs on every corner and moment of his life, For the past 40 years, like, everybody just shut up and chill out. And like you said, this is, uh, you put it the best way possible. This is family business. Let them deal with it. I mean, how many people were then judging his, what, did you want the Academy to not give him his award? That they all agree that he was supposed to get? Oh, fake fake tears. Look at that. And I'm like, oh, my God, you people. Nothing will ever make you happy.
0: And, and, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but... These were three black people. yeah, And that's important. It's very important. It's important to note that these were three black people that this happened to. And I, I, I just, I can't even think of a scenario like, because people have been trying to flip it around and go, let's imagine it was Brad Pitt and what, or whatever, right? And people have tried to, but trying to equate what would happen if white people were in the position of black people is never a fair equation, it's never. Like to say something like, imagine if, if Barack Obama did what Donald Trump did. There's There's so many miles in between what those two situations and scenarios would be. Like, it's important that we watched three, a black woman and two black men that have history, have a moment in a very public forum. So with that, lean into black people because they probably have a little more insight than you would think on Mm -hmm. this thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'll be honest with you, bro. I'm going to be real honest with you. Would I have, if it had been, Fuck, I, I don't even get a good example. If it had been Russell Crowe and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, I'm just throwing names out there. If it had been them. Would I have still said something like, this is family business? Probably, but I also wouldn't have had to. Right. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wouldn't have had to. I, I wouldn't have. So, I, I mean, when I tell you, I, I'm exa- I, like, of I've, I've posted so many things on social media, but nothing has exhausted me more than the past 48 hours of white women coming for me over. Of them thinking that I'm suddenly saying spousal abuse is okay? Like, I, like, like, the circles that you had to get around to get to that and come at me for that? Yeah. is yeah. just crazy to me, man. Yeah. Anyways, and Jen was cracking up because she was like, bro, telling, telling white women to just listen is like, you are asking for them to come for you.
1: Yeah. you just, you just, Took a huge dump on their sacred cow of privilege and being able to speak up whenever and however. I mean that is just whenever not, and
0: however. Yeah,
1: that is just not the thing to tell them. It's well, I, I will say on top like not just white women, white Christian women. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a whole different thing. You, and I, you, I love. You
0: said it, but not me. You said yeah, it, but not. I, me. No, yeah.
1: I, I will say it. I mean there is a special level of for being, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this for being such. An oppressed people group in and of themselves, right? If they're part of conservative evangelicalism, then they have likely been suppressed and oppressed and repressed all their lives in different ways, right? Still to this day. And yet in the midst of feeling in the midst of not being able to be who they truly are and not being able to lead in the ways that God made them to lead and not being able to be fully themselves in their own marriages and families and in their own church ecosystem, they still find a way to be some of the worst people that I've ever met.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Bless it. Bless (laughs) Bless it. it. Bless
1: it. Thank you for sharing that. I actually actually wasn't until you mentioned it when you were like, this might be a hard left turn. I didn't know if I was going to bring it up just because I had seen your post and you're a black man sort of experiencing this through all of your, you're experiencing this through your lens and your experiences. And I was like, man, I don't know if we bring that up. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad you hinted at it and we did because I think, thank you for sharing that. And that that's the best case scenario, what you shared. I mean, you clearly weren't, I, I've read the post. I have it up here on the side of yeah, my screen yeah. just like looking at it. I'm like, in no way did you, people just aren't okay. I just don't know how to teach people to be okay with nuance and gray and messy. Yeah. And the longer we the longer we choose a side that we think is, you know, not gray, not messy, not nuanced. Like one of the, one of the really practical reasons I want to stay okay with nuance and okay, is because it's going to come for me at some and already has like Bro. these, 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 and I'm a, I'm a, I'm about as left as they come on pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And I talk to my lefties all the time. I'm like, yo, You say that you're the party and the people of inclusion and progress in this, and yet you are so hateful toward all these people, not Mm. systems, Mm. be hateful toward the systems. I am very hateful toward our policing system. I am very hateful toward our criminal legal system and our for-profit prison system and the Republican party and da-da-da-da, like name all these systems that are bad and should be demolished today, if not sooner but we get into trouble when we start hating on individual people. And that's hard. I'll, I'll admit, but the more we hate on individual people because of certain parts of who they are, their political affiliation, uh, their, their religious affiliation. And we just keep going, man, we better beware because it's going to come for us when we inevitably some, some, uh, very remote, dusty skeleton gets, you know, gets revealed or just something that we talk about online. And then it's like, well, you didn't show mercy toward others. So the universe is now not going to show mercy toward you. And so in these situations, like with, with, you know, three black people having an altercation, yeah, everybody should just shut the fuck up and like, watch it play out and it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, right? It just isn't. That's when you step back and think about it. It's like, yes, we were all watching the Oscars, so it seemed like a big deal. But it also isn't. It also is a culmination of all sorts of experiences and pain and history. Like you said, these people have known each other for the the, the large for chunk decade. of their lives. Chris and, Chris and Will, they've known each other since they were children. Right. So for you to just be like, look, I'm looking at these 20 seconds on stage. I'm going to judge everything about it, man. It's just like, we just How crazy is
0: it, Nick, how crazy is it, man, that when when that happened, my thought, my first thought wasn't, I hope Chris is okay. My thought wasn't, oh, protect Jada. My thought wasn't what's going to happen to Will's career. My thought was, what are white people going to do to fuck this up way beyond repair? That was my honest to god reaction. That Oof. happened, and I and Jen watched me go. What's wrong? And I'm like, we, no people aren't going to be able to process this. Yeah, like people are not going to be able to process this in a way that's going to be well for any of these people. Yeah, and it wasn't. Ten minutes later, I looked at a post and went, Here, "Here's your first yeah. example." Yeah, and that's you a unique you know experience. I mean? That's a unique
1: experience that I couldn't even go through like you felt that because you knew it was coming and i knew it was coming too my first thought was there's more here how's jada doing like fuck, man. like that's horrible but i completely understand that what how how you felt and and every your worst nightmare came true and it's still coming true i mean just go check twitter half the tweets are still about this thing and they're all bad takes
0: (laughs) they're they're all bad takes and and, and and so many of them actually have nothing to do with actually what actually took place it gave people license and permission to begin to talk about domestic violence in the household black people and violence how black people handle situations privilege given to black people that have money it, 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 uh, every everything as soon as it went down I went it's, this is going to be bad and um i I could I was way I, it was way worse than i could have possibly imagined anyways man let me say this really quick in, in yep. reference to all of that what you just said um when it comes to, to when it comes to how i feel about people coming for us and this side of the other man um, people ask me all the time tyler how is it that you have the patience and grace and ability to deal with all the craziness that comes towards you how do you just not block delete everybody who comes at you with crazy stuff how do you still have the patience to walk through things and um it has something to do with kind of what you said, but I'm going to get I'm going to make it spiritual here for a second. Do it. And I talk about this in my book. Um And forgive me if I get emotional thinking about this, but it's just the truth, man. I have been to I have been through too many things. And still um have a God that accepts me despite everything that I've ever done, when when all science, when all um, tangible things tell me that God should have given up on me, every sign of every failure of every single thing I've done. Equals up, the math equals up to a God that goes, we had a good run, buddy. But that last thing you did, that was it. When I go back to my time in, um, at summer camp, when I met the Jesus that I know now, I think one of the reasons why I knew that I, I was going to be here forever is because there was a piece of me that maybe understood in this weird, thin place that I just encountered a God who is never going to not have grace for me. And that grace allows me to have a ridiculous amount of grace for other people, a unworldly amount of grace for people that I shouldn't. That Reverend Barber kind of grace, that Martin Luther King Jr. kind of grace, that kind of grace that you see from your parents when they should have kicked you out, but they kept you at home anyways for some people. I can't, Nick, not have that grace for others after I've received so much grace for myself. And so we live in a world where people want to go, we're done with you. And, um, I serve a God who's never been done, done with me. So um, it's going to take an awful lot for me to be done with you. And I talk a little bit about, I think, that a, bit, a little bit about that in the book as well. You know, that we all have a story to tell. And hopefully when we get to the end of it, we still want to be with each other.
1: Thanks for sharing that. I love that your faith is behind your hope and your care for people and your uh, almost lack of ability to give up on people um i love that thanks for sharing that i think that's honestly yeah, a good you know we'll do a round two at some point that's a good place to stop for now um thank you for sharing all of that thank you for writing this book yeah man thank, thank you thank you for reading for, it of course Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And I hope everyone buys the book, not just to read or hear from Jimmy Kimmel at the beginning. It's a (laughs) nice nice little forward. But because the book after that, all of the words that you wrote or spoke in the audiobook, it's a great story. I mean, at the same time that your story is no more special than anybody else's, they're all nuanced and special and complicated. And we're all just, you know, have lots of stories to tell. I love reading people putting it all out there Yeah, because it helps the way that you wrote the book, the stories you've shared today, the ways that you've talked about race and sex and faith and all the things that we've talked about today. Um, I think we've helped, hopefully we have helped people listening just get more real themselves. If they're not writing a book, that's fine. I wish everyone would write a memoir. I think that should be everyone's task before they they you know sometime along their journey to write a memoir because every you know even even the most mundane you know <laughs> life you know someone that lives in the hills of West Virginia and never get like imagine the stories right right, right. like I just love hearing from people and so again thank you for sharing I think you're amazing
0: thanks um, you too
1: and uh, let's do this again soon one
0: hundred percent.
1: Damn Givers, thank you so much for showing up, for spending time with Tyler and me this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend or two. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and please show up next week. We have many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the incredible team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda, you can reach out to me anytime and for any reason at hello at I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.